Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 323 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by Mr. Eddie Chambers in a festive mood this time. Eddie, how you doing, man? I'm good, my man. How about you? Always good when speaking with you. It is a festive time for me. Uh, obviously, this is the Christmas special. We are doing um, something a little bit different this time. We're going to be reviewing the fights from last week, of course, and uh, this 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 coming uh, week, there's not really anything on to preview. There's going to be some news. There's going to be a couple of interviews. Um, Let's start, though, at the Bell Centre with the review part of the show in Montreal, uh, Montreal, uh, Quebec, Canada. Over here, this one was on ESPN+. Arta Baturbiev did end up wearing down Marcus Brown in the end. Marcus Brown had a good start to the fight, though, and again, a head clash that caused a cut in the middle of Baturbiev's head. It was almost reminiscent of that cut that Badu Jack suffered when he boxed Marcus Brown. Um... Baturbiev now 17-0, 17 KOs, a ninth round KO over Marcus Brown, who's now 24-2, a defense there of Baturbiev's WBC and IBF light heavyweight world titles, Brown down in the seventh and the ninth. Um, do you know what? It was a really good fight to watch. I mean, Baturbiev to come back from that horrendous cut, the blood was streaming down his face like a, you know, like a waterfall, like a bloodfall from his forehead all the way down his face, his chest, his arms. Marcus Brown had white gloves on. They were covered in blood. His shorts were covered in blood. They really could have stopped it, but I don't think they were ever planning on stopping it. Um... But yeah, Marcus Brown started the fight really well. I said that I felt there's 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 a chance he could do something in the fight. And you know what? He was getting the better of some of those early rounds outboxing Baturbiev. But then, I'm not sure. I mean, Baturbiev seemed to just take over, a bit down on the gum shield. Um, again, some people saying that they saw holes in his performance. They, they, they can see that Canelo would exploit those holes and all the rest of it. But his performance here against Brown, a good one, a good one. Um, but yeah, Brown in the end, I think it was a body shot that, that, um, that he stayed down four in that ninth and final round for him but a good effort um but yeah just not quite good enough um steve rolls with a win on the undercard former golovkin victim he's now 21 and one um that is about it really for the undercard did you see any of that fight there Eddie? yeah i watched steve rolls that fight and i think i also watched no i definitely watched the uh better be uh in um with um marcus brown marcus brown i don't know why i couldn't say his name but um, Steve Rose, I mean, you know, he showed he had a, he has a, you know he has some 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 dimensions, but I think a little slow, at times a little predictable. You know what I mean? The elite guys are gonna are gonna beat him, in my opinion. No no disrespect to him, he's 
not a bad fighter, but he's just, I don't think he's elite guy. He's the an elite type guy. That's just my opinion. So that doesn't necessarily mean I'm right. He can, he can make me look like, I, like an idiot for what I said, but as I, as it stands and from what I see, that's what I'm, that's what I'm, uh, I'm giving him there. But as far as Bedurbiev, I think there's a lot of things that he does that a lot of people may not find aesthetically pleasing, better be up. But I think his his ability to stick to what he's good at and and to take his time and understanding that he has fight changing power, not overdoing it, not over you know over committing to 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 offense constantly, and he's not horrible defensively. Like he keeps his hands up nice. He's already a sturdy guy, so he can take take a good uh, good amount of punishment and he's obviously you saw the world-class heart and being tough by you know having that crazy cut that he had and actually had must have had a pretty good gas tank because when you're losing that kind of blood and you see it and it, it can it can weigh on your mind and on your body so um a lot of good things i got from that fight from Beterbiev, but obviously um you know when you talk about canelo going up and fighting and that's a step up in weight, obviously. I mean, Canelo's fought, obviously, at 75 before beating um, Kovalev. But I don't think Kovalev at that point in his career is the same Kovalev. And not only that, I think Bezerbiev at this point in his career is still pretty strong and tough. And he's almost like, and he, and he punches, he punches, really, really punches. Now, Canelo has enough boxing ability and head movement and skills to be, you know, careful defensively and not catch anything crazy early but as the fight wears on and he keeps the foot pressure on him i'm not sure that he won't get caught with a couple shots you know and then better be is also a pretty good body puncher obviously and he just has power all around and like i said he's really sturdy and really fierce on the offense uh, i mean uh, on the offensive side uh like i said before a little bit a little bit too careful sometimes with his punches, his punches, but I think that's a tough fight for Canelo. You know, I wouldn't just be so ready just to say, oh, yeah, uh, Canelo would just out, out, you know, dominate him because of what they saw in there with the fight with Marcus Brown. You know, it's a different fight. Marcus Brown's about 6'1", 6'2". You know, he, he's, not a, he's not a slow guy. He's pretty good. He's talented. You know, I'm not sure that Canelo was going to pose that same problem, and he's probably going to be a tougher problem but different. Maybe Betterbiev is better dealing with Canelo than he was even with Marcus Brown. Who knows? But, um, I mean, I doubt it. <laughs> but but it's a fight that's exciting that I would like to see. It's got two good names in it. Um, I would like to see it happen. Yeah, it will be a tough fight for Canelo. It's one I'd like to see as well. Obviously, we've got to remember Canelo's moving up to cruiserweight for his next one. Uh, moving out now to, I think this one took place... Um, in Uzbekistan, over here in Tashkent, we've got this one was on the zone, by the way. Israel Madrimov now eight and zero, a KO in round nine against Michel Soro, um, thirty-five and three with a draw. Now wins on the undercard as well for Bektemir Melikuziev. He come off that uh, that loss, that shocking knockout defeat to Gabriel Rosado. Uh, he's now eight and one. Elsewhere on that card, wins for Shakram Giasov now twelve and zero, and also Hassan Boy Duzmatov, who's now four and zero. 
Moving out now to Kazakhstan, a win here for the Olympic gold medalist Daniel Yelusinov, now 11-0, a unanimous decision over 12 rounds there against Juan Hernan Liao, who's now 15-2. That one was for the vacant IBO welterweight world title. A win as well on that undercard for Ivan Daiko, who's now 11-0, I think with 11 KOs, a knockout in the very first round against Alexander Ustinov, or Alexander Ustinov, now 36-6 with a draw the corner through that toweling in the first round. Moving out now to Mexico over here at the Palenque de la Feria Ganadera in Culiacan, Sinaloa. Over here, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. now 53-6 and six with a draw. It was his 60th pro fight. A unanimous decision win for him over 10 rounds against David Zagara, who's now 35, or sorry, 34-7. and seven. Um, Moving out now to the Ice Palace in Ukraine. This one was on ESPN. Dennis uh, Dennis Berenchik, now 16-0, unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Issa Shanaev, now 15-4 there for the WBO International Lightweight title. Wins on the undercard for Vladislav Serenko, now 19-0. He knocked out in round 6 Andrei Rudenko, who's now 34-6. I haven't seen the stoppage, but I've heard it was a really, 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 really dodgy stoppage. Apparently, Rudenko wasn't even hurt. Remember, he'd never been knocked out and um yeah the referee waved it off it was really really weird i need to go see that because everyone i've heard speak about it apparently it's like the worst stoppage of all time like people are saying it makes other fights that we all think were you know real real bad stoppages it makes them look like horrendous stoppages like they should have been stopped 30 seconds prior this was something in a league of its own apparently um what else do we have on the undercard, um, a win for a heavyweight called Ihor Shevatzutsky, Shevatzutsky, who's now nine and zero, a unanimous decision over six rounds on the undercard against Kamil Sokolowski. Um, so yeah, Sokolowski now eleven and twenty-four with two draws, coming off that win as well last time out against George Fox. Um, that's about it, really, for that one. Moving out now to the Manchester Arena here. This one was on zone. Let's start with the undercard. Wins for Jordan Thompson, a first-round knockout. He's now 12-0. A win there against Piotr... Uh, again, I'm not sure how this name's said. Piotr Budzizewski, now 4-1. Um, Alan the Savage Babich hurt himself, actually, by the way, but he managed to pick out the knockout once again 10 and 0 10 KOs a sixth round KO against David Spielmont um Sandy Ryan with a win now 3 and 0 Zelfa Barrett with a win now 27 and 1 a unanimous decision over 12 against Bruno Torimo who's now 26 3 and 2 Torimo down in the third round but got up and went the distance. Another good win there for Zelfa Barrett. Jack Cullen was upset. I believe he got in with a late replacement as well, but he was upset. He's now 20-3 and three with a draw. A TKO loss for him against Kevin Sadjo, who was relatively unknown, but I think he was 16-0 and 0 with maybe 15 or 14 or 13 KOs. It was for the vacant EBU European super middleweight title. Um, Cullen was cut in the second round. He was down um, from a body shot. 
a left hand. It was just prior to that stoppage. Um, Carlos Gongora, 20-0. and 0. He went into the fight as the favourite against our very own Lerone Richards. We will be speaking to him in a little while. He's now 16-0, and 0, Richards. A split decision win over 12 rounds. Never should have been a split. I think he won it quite clearly. It was there for the IBO World Super Middleweight title. Again, this show is the Christmas special. Um... Every single Christmas, we've got to at least bring, you know, a couple of interviews, two, three, something like that, every single Christmas. And unless it's a really big special one, I think last year it was Nigel Benn. I mean, that is British boxing royalty. This year, we speak, it's kind of half normal show, half Christmas show. So we're going to be speaking to Lerone Richards. He boxed on the weekend. That's a normal kind of thing that we do. And then the show will end with a long interview, an in-depth interview with a former world champion. So that is how we're doing it this week, if you didn't already know, this far into the podcast. And the main event here, Joseph Parker, friend of the show. He picked up his 30th career win. He's now 30-2, and two, a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Derek Delboy Chisora, now 32-12. and 12. Chisora down three times. It was for the WBO Intercontinental Heavyweight title. I, I, I predicted a points win for Joseph Parker, although I have to say a few times in the fight, I thought he was going to get the stoppage. Um, round one, I gave to Parker. I think he kept the fight on the outside. He popped out the jab a few times. He was much smarter than he had been in the first fight, I felt. Um, second round, I gave to Parker. I think early on in the round, Chisora was able to get close. And that part of the round was fought in the pocket. I think Chisora had a lot of success. And I was beginning to wonder if he successfully drawn Parker into his style of fight. But as the round progressed, Parker got back to his smart boxing from the outside. And actually wound up hurting Chisora, I felt, with a few uppercuts. Uh, round three... A much closer round, especially in the second half of that round. Chisora, in the first half of it, looked super tired to me and actually a little bit wobbly. He went back uh, onto the ropes at one point. He looked just, I don't know, a little bit odd to me. Chisora did finish quite strong in that round, though. Uh, round four, down goes Chisora for the first time. On the replay, I wasn't so sure it was a knockdown. He did get caught with a peach of an uppercut, but he was kind of thrown into the ropes a little bit. Uh, the referee felt that they held him up. It was a tough one to call, to be honest with you, but I... I wasn't sure it was a legit knockdown. Round five, I gave to Chisora. It was a close round. Uh, round round six, again, maybe a Chisora round. He seemed to kind of come on quite strong in the mid-rounds. He definitely backed Parker up a lot. And Parker was perhaps a little bit tired at that point as well. Chisora seemed to maybe get, get his second wind. Round seven... Um, down Chisora goes again. You know, it was a right uppercut that sent him down. No complaints with that knockdown at all. It was a screw shot uppercut from Parker. And then Chisora gets back up and he goes to a corner. And it was weird. I don't know if you saw it, Eddie. I'll come to you in a moment. But when he got up off being knocked out, he walked immediately to a corner and then stood in the corner, you know, like almost as if he was going to counter from from uh, one of one of Parker's shots. And, I mean, that's not his style. He's, he's certainly not a counter puncher and he's certainly not you know, a one-punch um, knockout guy either. So I don't know what he was doing with that. Um, he did have success winging in hooks in that round. But again, he'd lost a round 10-8, even though he finished strong. Um, we know Chisora's a tough guy and made a steal. Um, round 8, down Chisora goes again. It was the same exact shot, the same screw shot uppercut. Um, Joseph Parker fainted with the jab and he whipped in this uppercut. Brutal. Chisora, I thought, at this point, surely isn't going to be going the distance. Again, down three times. Half saved by the bell as well at the end of that eighth round. Uh, round nine... Again, Chisora, I felt, was just fighting on instinct. Parker, whenever he wanted to catch Chisora and put him in bother, 
you know, he could. And every time he loaded up, he was hurting Chisora. Chisora's corner, I felt, should have been thinking about throwing the towel in. Uh, but then again, there was only three rounds to go. I know how proud a man Chisora is. We know how tough he is. Um, Parker, I just felt, was a little bit too fresh. Again, his second wind had kicked in. Chisora was the one looking really tired. Um, round 10, a very sloppy round. Um... Both guys very tired. The shots were not really packing the same kind of power they once had. Chisora was doing a lot uh, of of using his strength kind of thing. Uh, close round. I don't think anyone really dominated anything. Could have gone either way the round. But again, on my card, Chisora at this point needs a knockout. Round 11, again, another really sloppy round. Uh, full of holding, to be honest with you. Both men didn't really have much left in the gas tank. Again, a really close round. And then round 12, I think Parker won that round. I felt he closed the show with the cleaner shots once again. And yeah, on my card, I wasn't scoring it strictly round by round, but surely I felt he, he'd won the fight by a landslide. Um, I want to say this as well, Eddie. Um, firstly, did you watch the fight? Just give me a yes or no on that one. No, I didn't get a chance to ah, see it. I didn't see it. I want to watch it. And I want to see it. I really want to see it. It's fine. All I wanted to just make a point of, really, and I'm sure you'll agree with me here, but when a you know a good fighter has a fight against another guy and it's a close fight or whatever, and then they decide to mm -hmm. do a rematch, I think mm -hmm. you show how good you are when you come back in the rematch and win it much wider than you did the first fight. And mm -hmm. I hate to... Uh, like kick Chisora while he's down kind of thing, but there's been yeah. a few, I, I, I want to use him as the example, um, you know we, we've seen him have the really close fight with, with Dillian White the first time, comes back and gets knocked out cold, we've seen him have not so much of a close fight, but the first Tyson Fury fight was, was a you know, a competitive, very competitive fight at the time, and we saw what happened in the rematch, um, you know he, he, he completely annihilated him that night, you was on the undercard, I was in the building um and then this 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 rematch he's had with parker again the first one really close he dropped parker um you know and and it was really close a lot of people felt chisora won and then parker comes back in this rematch has him down three times and no one can make a case for chisora here it seems like you know joseph parker tyson fury and dillian white are all clearly levels above the likes of Chisora. The way they've gone away, changed the tactics, edited the game plan, and turned up, you know, an improved version of themselves. Whereas Chisora, let's be honest here, has been the same guy in all of those fights, the first one and the second one, against White, mm -hmm. Fury, the whole his whole career, actually. He's always been the same guy. He seems to not be able to change anything. And I agree with you 1 million percent. That's the difference. You know, these guys are coming in with... Game, you know, you come in with a game plan or whatever, and everybody knows you get it. You have a game plan, you get hit, things change. You know what I mean? <laughs> Mike Tyson said that, and that's true. But when you fight someone over, it's like in basketball, you have a seven game series. You got to be able to make adjustments. You got to have little things that you can do that will turn the fight possibly in your in your favor. You got to be able to do that. And Chazor is what you see is what you get every time. He's going to be the same guy, not necessarily going to not necessarily going to get any worse, but not going to read much. If you know, improve much, he's going to be in front of you, in your face the entire night. Now, for some guys, and for the and, and obviously for the first time with each of these fighters, they struggle with that because it's something you got to even when he, when he fought David Hay, 
Like I watched him fight David Hayne. He was on the end, all in his grill the whole a whole early part of the fight till he got started getting caught. And then when he got knocked out, that's what happened. It's a difficult thing to deal with when somebody's that busy and that aggressive. But if you fight them again and you kind of know what to expect and they don't really make any adjustments, even, you know, any tactical adjustments, and you, you're, you're the same thing. It's like, okay, so now this I'm going to try this. Or not so much I'm going to try this, I'm going to game plan for it. I'll be better prepared for what he's bringing to the table, which there's no tactical difference in what he's doing. All I got to do is figure out how to understand the pressure a little better. Know where he's coming from, how he's coming, where the shots are coming from. And once you figure that out, it becomes really, really easy. Now, I'm not going to say easy because he's still tough. He's still going to fight you to the end. But when you have that edge and understanding, you're almost, you almost know what's coming. Even, even if, like I said, he's tough, strong, and all that. It's still going it, to... You know, it, it, the only way that it could get you is if you get tired. You know what I mean? And I, and I really just feel like at this level, when there's not much that separates, you know, the the the, the talent, so to speak, you got to have more than one thing. You got to be able to go into your toolbox and grab a couple different tools. Can't just keep coming with the same thing because certain tools aren't going to work for, 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 for certain uh, problems. You know what I mean? And I think that's where Chisora has run into his problems in some of these second fights. You understand? It's like if he could... If he could somehow add something to what he does, like it's, he, we all know he's going to be busy. We all know he's going to be in your face, but he can add a little something to it. You know, he could try to add a little something to it, so it doesn't make it because it, sometimes when a guy's that busy or in, in your face that much, you know he's coming to you. So all you got to do is set traps. You set traps, you'll put him in positions to get caught, and that's why he kept getting hit. And I didn't even see it, but you, but when you, what you were saying, Joe, he kept getting hit with that same shot because he's not prepared to make the adjustment. That's why these guys were able to come back because they're class fighters. They're they're real. Not saying that Chisora isn't a real fighter, but I mean they're class fighters. They have the ability to adjust their game plan based on the fighter that's in front of them. You know what I mean? And I think that's where Chisora, in his career, has fell short. Extremely tough. Comes the fight, but he needed he needed to be able to make adjustments, and in his career, I just don't think he's been able to do that, and I think that's been his been his biggest downfall. Yeah, no, I agree, of course, with that analogy. Um, there was a tweet going around Twitter. Some people were laughing at the tweet because someone on a boxing page tweeted that um, Derek Chisora is like the heavyweight version of Sean Porter. A lot of people disagree because Sean Porter has won a couple of world titles and he's certainly reached the elite level of his weight class. Whereas I think, and I, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but I think a much better analogy or a much better comparison is to call Derek Chisora the heavyweight Gabe Rosado. I think that that better fits, in that, my opinion. That That's probably a little better. Yeah. The only thing is, I think, I think one thing I think about Gabe Rosado is that his approach to boxing is slightly different. But he's tough, blood and guts type situation, but his approach is a little different. He fights a little different. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Yeah, but, 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 but you're 100% right. If you want to and, – and even with the amount of losses and the amount of fights and all of that stuff, actually that's a really, really, really good comparison because yeah. they've both been kind of on the same boat pretty much their entire career. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't mean fighting style. I just mean, as you say, like when they step up against the elite of the weight class, they lose every yeah. time. They've had some very close ones uh, with guys that, um, you know, are, are right up there, like a Parker, things like that. Um, right, moving on, moving on. We're going to move now to, to the Norfolk showground. This one took place in Norwich, Norfolk, United Kingdom. This one actually was promoted by Mervyn Turner, former um, Team Fury member, guy you know well, Eddie. He put a card on here. Ryan Walsh with a win, now 27-3 and three with two draws, a points win over six against late replacement Ronnie Clark, who's now 21-7 and seven with two draws. Ronnie Clark turned up at the weigh-in with um, an item of clothing covering his private parts that I can't really put into words. It was some kind of uh, red and white fluffy Santa-inspired piece of some kind of clothing garment, just a, just about covering what he had down there. Um, yeah, he was cut in the first round, but he went the distance, lost on points over six. I like Ronnie Clark, a real character. And on the undercard as well, Michael Walsh, the brother of Ryan Walsh, now 14-0. First time he's gone the distance. He he had 13 uh, KOs from his 13 wins. He's lost that 100% knockout ratio. A points win over six there against Brian Morena, who's now 10-22 and 22 with a draw. Got a soft spot for Michael Walsh, obviously, because if you know the backstory to his terrible uh his terrible luck outside of the ring it's it's uh you know it's gripping it's 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 extremely sad um again just for those that don't know you know michael walsh um had a had a son um i'm not sure if the son is still alive by the way but i know that his son was born with a heart that was 20 percent the size of a normal uh baby's heart when it was when it when it, when it was born uh the little baby's name was liam and um he, he actually died for 43 minutes during one heart operation i think he's had several heart operations he's been in hospital for a lot of his young life and michael walsh a pro boxer actually bought a tent and slept outside the hospital on the street for for days on end um so he could be there first thing in the morning for his son um so he'd go to sleep in 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 a tent he bought i think for 35 pounds he'd sleep on the street um he'd wake up and his morning routine would 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 be that he'd go and buy food for all the other homeless people there and then he'd go and check on his son and he did this every single day while his son was inside the hospital um you know with tubes coming in and out of every part of his body It's, it's absolutely uh dreadful and very very sad um you know so, so I've always got a soft, soft spot for people that go through those kinds of struggles outside of the ring, and they're not always, uh, you know, spoken about or the knowledge on them is not not very deep. Um, I'm not sure if he's still alive. I hope he's still alive. Of course, God, but um, yeah, very unfortunate situation, and he's kind of had to put his career on the back burner. He was out of the ring for a few years. Um, I'm not sure what he's doing now. He's he's up there in age, but still undefeated. Um, yeah, so moving out now, though, to the Rainton Meadows Arena. This one in Tynham Ware over here. Richard Schaefer actually promoted this card. Uh, that's a weird one. But anyways, uh, Lewis Ritson with a win. He's now 22-2. and two. His opponent retired on his store at the end of uh, the ninth round. He was down in that ninth round. His opponent, Christian Urizquieta, now 20-5 and five with two draws. Ricky Burns with a predictable points win, 44-8 and eight with a draw. He got in there with Emiliano Dominguez, who's now 26-10 and 10 with a draw. Unanimous decision there over 10 rounds for Ricky Burns. Um, I think both guys had never been stopped. Both guys were not big punchers. I felt that's always going the distance there. And Thomas Patrick Ward with a win as well. Um... 
I'm not sure if I could say he's back to his best, but he pretty much shut out Leonardo Padilla, who's now 20 and 4, and Thomas Patrick Ward 31 and 0 with a draw. Joe Laws on the undercard with a win, 12 and 1 now, a points win over 6 against Seamus Devlin, who's 0 and 17. Moving out now to the Amelie Arena in Tampa, Florida, USA. This one was on Showtime pay per view. Uh, Amanda Serrano with a win, a 10 round unanimous decision win. She absolutely beat the brakes off of Miriam Gutierrez, former opponent of Katie Taylor. She wanted to make a statement and stop her, which Katie Taylor couldn't do. However, she couldn't do it either. Um, Miriam Gutierrez, though, I mean, at any point, her corner could have thrown a towel in. Her face at the end of it uh, was, was actually bad enough to make you want to puke. It was disgraceful, uh, or disgusting is the right word. It wasn't disgraceful. She's got a lot of heart, but she got beaten to a pulp, and I mean that um, that that's the definition of being beaten to a pub. She she looked horrible. She looked like, you know, something from, a, I don't know, her face looked like a Halloween mask. Amanda Serrano now 42-1 and one with a draw. Unanimous decision, like I say. Miriam Gutierrez 14-2. and two. Um, Yeah, so uh, I want to see Amanda Serrano, Katie Taylor. They're talking about it for next year. They're talking about it at the Madison Square Garden. What an amazing fight that will be. I hope it happens. Jay Leon Love on the undercard, weighing in at 197 pounds. He's put on 30 pounds since his retirement about two years ago. Weighing in as a cruiserweight, he got in there with Marcus Oliveira, who's now 28-6 and six with a draw because Jay Leon Love pulled out the win on points over eight rounds. Um, and then, yeah, the main event, we're not going to go into it too much, but Jake Paul with a win, 5-0, and oh, a KO in round six against Tyrone Woodley, who's now Norton 2 as a pro. Um, I wasn't sure there was going to be a knockout because, obviously, the first fight went the distance and... You know, credit to Jake Paul for taking the rematch. Credit for for Woodley as well. I mean, it's a huge payday for him, but I felt it was quite risky for Paul really going in with a guy that almost beat him in that first fight, even though he wasn't giving Woodley too much notice because of the Tommy Fury situation, but that's out of his hands. Um, Yeah, I'm sure you've seen the knockout, Eddie. Some people saying, has a YouTuber managed to get knockout of the year in a boxing ring? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. I really don't know. I even hear... Some people saying it is fake. Oh, it is not oh, real. It wouldn't be put, I, it, I mean, look, at the end of the day, um, it's 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 troubling, you know what I mean, a little bit for Woodley. I, I, you know, seeing him, you know, he's a real fighter. I'm not, but you, I guess you can't ignore that these guys have actually been boxing. They've actually been trying to put their hours in and trying to get better. So, I mean, I'm not going to completely shit on what they've done. But, man. <laughs> it's just it's 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 just unfortunate for Woodley because from what I understand I didn't really see much of it. I just watched like you know the replay of what happened with the knockdown and everything, so I really get chance to see before I I understand Woodley was in front was a little maybe a little ahead in the fight uh, at least you know. I'm not sure I mean, if I'd what, say that. I mean I don't know. This is what I'm hearing. Have you been reading Clarissa Shields' tweets or something? No, no, okay. no, no. She no, had no, it no, to no. Woodley, but I don't think many others did. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I, I, mean, I just know it was, like, close. Like, you know, I thought maybe he'd been up. But, I mean, this is what I heard. And then, you know, that happened. So, it's just, you know, and for him to get knocked out by Jake Paul, you know, most people already looking at it like, you know, he's a YouTuber. Like, it just looks bad for it just looks bad for a real fighter to get beat by a, a YouTuber like that. Even though, in Woodley's defense, he's not a boxer. You know what I'm saying? He's a wrestler and he's an MMA fighter, so it's different. But 
um, it's still, he's a real fighter. So it just makes it, it just looks bad. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's rough. But, I mean, at the end of the day, boxing is boxing. That's what happens. You get, people get caught. He got caught with a shot that he didn't really see. He, put, he extended that arm out. Like he should he never should ever do that in any situation. Pull out with your arms extended. And that's why he got caught with the shot. He got put out. Uh, and I'm going to say it didn't, it didn't look fake to me. It looked like it was a legit shot. And yeah, to, in the way in the way he face planted on the mat, I don't think he would do that on purpose. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I it was a yeah. bad knockout. It really was. Um, moving yeah. on to the Armory in Minneapolis, Minnesota, USA. This one was on Fox. Um, David Morrell with a win now six and zero. Another knockout for him. He's six and zero with five KOs. A fourth round TKO here against friend of the show Alontez Fox. Now twenty eight and three with a draw. Uh, that one was for the WBA Super Middleweight World Title. Alontez Fox just never really got going. Reminded me a lot of the Liam Williams fight he had with him. Um, never got going at any point. Never managed to, you know, uh, make the jab, the long jab, effective at any point. Too much fighting on the inside, and you know, when he gets in there with a power puncher that's going to be right on his chest, and he can't keep him off with a jab, it gives away every kind of natural advantage he has. And that's what happened here. I mean, Morel, it wasn't like he was just walking in and being allowed in. He's a tricky guy, uh, obviously, from that Cuban school. But, yeah, Alontes Fox, man, I, I don't know. I think it's kind of like last chance saloon for him. He loses there. I'm not sure he's going to get a way in to become a world champion at this point. Um, you know, it's it's another tough, um, tough you know, loss really for the for the Fox family in 2021. Obviously, we we know about Michael Fox last time out. Should be world champion right now, actually, or certainly right up there uh, with with a big fight after that shocking robbery that he suffered last time. But it's been a bad year for the Fox for the Fox brothers and um, Alontes Fox. Yeah, um, completely just out outgunned, outdone, and you know, it wasn't even competitive. Uh, sad for him. He's a, he's a good friend, but. Yeah, I don't know what to say, man. He just he just wasn't in the league of David Morrell, who may end up being a very, very special fighter. Um, on the undercard, Richardson Hitchens with a win, now 13-0, a unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Malik Hawkins, now 18-2. Um, that's about it for that one. Moving out now to the AT&T Center in San Antonio, Texas. This one was on... Uh, I'm not even sure what channel this one was on now. I was streaming a few things at once. Um, Gilberto Ramirez now 30, not 30, 43 and 0. A TKO in round 10 against Unieski Gonzalez now 21 and 4. Gonzalez down early in the fight looked absolutely gone. And there's a few times where fight I don't mean this disrespectfully but fighters are so gone they're so out on their feet that you think you can get off your sofa with no boxing training and finish them off in that condition they are completely spent but you know to, to his credit and and it was quite unbelievable he come back you know he went back to his corner he come back out he was still on shaky legs then all of a sudden he, he got his you know he got everything back together and actually I think started backing up Ramirez and hurting Ramirez in in, in times in that fight so um, yeah, incredible heart from him. But in the end, the referee stopped it. And he actually hugged the referee and picked him up in the air. I think he was saying thank you very much. Um, you know, he, was, he, was, he wasn't going to win the fight, you know. And his punch power wasn't really there in the late stage. He was losing uh, very wide on points. But um, again, not a really over-impressive performance once again from Ramirez, who I think is on... 
you know, he's on a little bit borrowed time in terms of his undefeated record. He he's talking about all these champions. He, you know, he moved up from from um, the weight below 168, where he took care of Jesse Hart, probably most notably. And then he comes up, and um, you know, he could have gone straight into the position to fight Bivol. That's how it works. If you vacate your WBO title, you move up in weight. They can put you straight in as mandatory if you want that. He didn't want that, and that's why he's had a few fights in the meantime. Now he's saying he wants it. I think he's going to try and get to 50-0 and 0 or something like that because that's the way he's going on lately. But if he gets in with Bivol, he loses that fight, in my opinion. So I wasn't really impressed with him. Um, I think he's had a lot of hand troubles as well. I don't rate his power too much, especially at the top, top level. Um, on the undercard, a good win for Lamont Roach. It was... Um it was expected in terms of the bookies, the way they saw the fight. They 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 had Rene Alvarado, former world champion, as the underdog, and yeah, I mean he nearly won a shutout. Lamont Roach, twenty two and one with a draw there for the NABA super featherweight title. Uh, considering his his one loss came to Jamel Herring, and he didn't really come close to winning that fight against Jamel Herring. I gave him a good chance against Rene Alvarado, who's pretty much you know a warrior really in your face, bang for bang. He's happy with that. He's He's a, he's a tough, tough guy. Um, maybe maybe he's a little bit shot now. He's now 32 and 11. Uh, but yeah, impressive from Lamont Roach. I think that's definitely the best win of his career. It's very impressive. Elsewhere on the undercard, Marlon Esparza now 11 and 1. A unanimous decision for her over 10 two-minute rounds against Annabelle Ortiz, now 31 and 5. That won a defense of Esparza's WBC female flyweight world title. Ortiz down in the second and fifth round. And Sinisa Estrada now 22 and 0. A successful defense for her WBA world female minimum weight world title against Maria Santizo, who was 9-0. She got dropped with a big punch in round three, but she got straight back up, and then she got knocked out in the fourth round. Um, yes, Anissa Estrada, one of my favorite female fighters. Again, she's quite unbelievable. Um, I love the fact that she's got power down at minimum weight. That's just insane. Um, and now the final fight to mention it took place Tuesday of this week the the the, uh, the the Tuesday September sorry not September where where is my brain December 21st at the Star Event Center in Sydney South Wales I'm not going to treat you to that one again it is Christmas but you had it last week no Australian accents super flyweight Andrew Maloney Andrew Maloney, former world champion, 21 and 2, friend of the show, now 22 and 2. Um, he was able to beat Froilan Saludar, who's now 32 and 5 with a draw. It was for the vacant WBO Oriental Super Flyweight title. I'm pleased for Andrew Maloney because he's, you know, he's um ended the year on a slight high there. Obviously, he's been very, very unlucky in recent times with his fights against Joshua Franco, but a good win for him unanimously over 10 rounds there. Quite wide on the cards, 9-1 to one on two cards and 8-2 to two on the other. Um, yeah, so a good win there to close out, um, you know, a very bad, not just year, but probably two years, to be honest with you. Uh, so please for him, he's a nice guy, Andrew Maloney. But that brings the review part to a close. The final thing for me to do just before we wrap up part one is to welcome our first guest on this Christmas special podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated former British Commonwealth European and now new IBO super middleweight world champion. He's, of course, Mr. Lerone Richards. Lerone, welcome back on the show, my man. It's been a while. 
Yeah, it's been a while. Um, yeah, thanks it's for having me. Absolutely, my pleasure. So, Lerone, we we lasted an interview back in May 2017. So, yeah, it's been a long time since then. Obviously, you've just been climbing and climbing and climbing. Let's talk about this win on the weekend over Carlos Gongora. Uh, you were the underdog. Some people even predicted that you'd get knocked out. However, you barely got hit and you pulled off the points win. Tell me about it, my man. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, Saturday was a big win for me. I knew I had um, the ability, I knew I had the skill set to operate at that level. And um, on Saturday, I showcased that, you know, um, Carlos Gongora was a top, top 10, and still is, say, top 15 now, um, super middleweight in the world, and I beat him with ease. Would you say that was your most impressive win so far of your career? I think so. On paper, it looks like it is. Um, Obviously, Carlos Gongora being a dangerous operator, um, had just as much fight or knockouts as I've had fights at the time. So he was a dangerous operator, someone that no one wanted to fight, and I stepped up to the plate. One of the judges turned in a more than questionable scorecard, uh, 116-112 in favour of Gongora. That scorecard uh, was actually the widest of the three as well, the judge in question, Gustino Di Giovanni of Italy. I'm wondering if he's related to Giovanni De Carolis. Um, what did you think when you heard that card? <laughs> Um, um, when I heard the card, I was like, wow. Like It took me by surprise. I was like, what the hell is going on? Um, but I knew I won enough rounds in that fight to, to get the victory. So I was confident. And I was actually at a birthday party uh, while the fight was on. I brought my iPad along and managed to get on Wi-Fi. I watched the fight uh, on, on the iPad. I couldn't hear any commentary because it was too loud. But from what I could see, I really liked what you were doing. You were outlanding Gongora. You were making him miss. Uh, some people do like to criticize you, though. Rather than congratulating you on the, the upset win, they want to talk about how boring the fight the fight was. I saw a lot of that online. Does that bother you in any way? Does that annoy you that maybe some fans don't appreciate your very effective uh, style that, that I think also goes hand-in-hand hand with longevity in the sport, not getting hit? Well, you know, uh, one thing about me, I've always stayed in my own lane and I've just done me. Um, if it's easier to win fights in the back foot, I'll do that. If I have to box in the front foot, I'll do that. But with Carlos Gongora, I had to be very disciplined in the fight. And it was hard for me at times because I wanted to go through the gears. But I had to be disciplined. Um, as everyone knows, Carlos Gongora is a very dangerous operator. And he's, he carries power. And he carries power late in fights as well. So I had to be um, very disciplined, um, listen to my corner, um, listen to Dave Caldwell, and just follow up the game plan. Like, you know, in terms of, like, people criticizing me and saying this and that, me, I don't. It doesn't bother me. Obviously, I do take, um, I do listen, I do take notice what people say. I'm not ignorant, but at the end of the day, um, it's called the sweet science of boxing. And obviously, you won the British. You you didn't defend it. You moved on to the European. You didn't um, hang around with that belt either. You've moved on to this IBO title. You're seeming now to go through levels very quickly compared to other parts of your career. What is the next stop on the Lerone Richards Express? You know, um, there's, there's always something to learn at every level. Like you said, British, Commonwealth, European, now the IBO world. So I'm going to leave it down to my team, S-Jam, Eddie Hearn, um, Dave Coldwell, and we'll see where we go from here. Obviously, the future is bright. Um, the world's my oyster now. Um, my stock has risen. 
and um, yeah, I just can't wait. And to, you mentioned Dave Coldwell again when we spoke last time. You were still in the eye box. Um, what's it like, obviously training under Coldwell? You've been there for quite a while. What kind of sparring are you getting up there um, on a consistent, regular basis, Lerone? Yeah, well, with Dave Coldwell, you know, sort of well documented that I have said that he's not just a coach; he's a teacher. And um, we've, I've learned a lot under Dave Coldwell. My IQ's improved. Um, I've just gone up on a different level. Um, working with a new strength and conditioning coach as well, boxing science of Danny Wilson. Um, that my conditioning, um, my strength has just gone up on a world level now. So everything works hand in hand, and I'm a far more improved athlete. Um, boxing and box since you last spoke to me. And we're now in the month of December. Every time I interview a boxer in the month of December every year, I like to ask, what's on your Christmas wish list in terms of your boxing career, Larone? Um, where can you be? Uh, where do you want to be in a realistic world this time next year? Well, like I say every year, I just want to continue to grow and continue to improve as a boxer. Um, and then everything will just follow through. Um, I believe in just taking one step at a time, you know, staying in my own lane and just focusing on what's important and just being happy and um, everything else will just follow from there. As you say, the world is your your oyster, Laurent, and um, I think the future is very bright for you. I cannot wait to see where you go. We've gone through things quite quickly. I'm just going to throw it over to you just before we wrap it up. If you've got any closing words to the listeners, if you want to say anything at all before we let you go, I think last time we had you on, I think you even thanked Tesco's. I believe you were working there for giving you some time off for a fight at the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's mad, you know, and it's been a long journey. Um, you know, I started from the boxing, bottom um, boxing on Sunday shows and Miranda Carter shows, and I'd like to be, give a big shout to Miranda Carter for putting me on her shows in 2014. Um, and, you know, I've kept rising and rising and just kept believing in myself, never giving up. And when there was, say, say obstacles in the way, I just thought, you know, I took a deep breath and I was like, no, I'm not going to stop here. I'm just going to keep believing in myself, even when no one else believed in me. And, you know, I just want to say a quick message to everyone who's listening: to just never, um, never give up on what you want to, what you believe in, and always believe in yourself. And um, I just want to uh, say a big thank you to everyone that supported me from the beginning of my career, and um, for new supporters as well, as um, as with, without them, this won't be possible. And um, just God bless everyone, and um, a Merry Christmas and a Happy Excellent New Year. Excellent words, Lerone. Listen, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you, my friend. Thank you for your time. Congrats on your win. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you and the family as well. Take care, bro. All right, God bro. Bless. You take Bye. care of yourself, Bye. yeah? Bye. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. It's going to be very, 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 very brief, this second part here. I'm going to do the news and then the the brief preview part. Then we're going to welcome, of course, our main interview, former world champion. Um, So, yeah, starting with the news. February the 5th, we're going to get to see the Battle of the Jose's at 1.40. We're going to see Jose Ramirez, former world champion. He gets in with Jose Pedraza. That's going to be a great fight. Really looking forward to that one. Again, February the 5th. and it takes place, I'm not sure where it's taking place, but we're also going to see on the undercard as well the pro debut of Richard Torres Jr., obviously the Olympian. That is going to be exciting. It takes place in Fresno, California, by the way. Um, elsewhere in other news, Troy Williamson has signed with Probellum. That's kind of cool. Obviously, friend of the show now, Troy, um, after winning the British title against Ted Cheeseman with a big knockout as well. That's one of the best knockouts I've seen this year. Um 
that's about it though for the news to be honest and moving on to the preview part of the show not too much to mention at all this one takes place on christmas eve um in russia over here we have maxim vlasov former uh world title challenger 50 it's not 50 45 and 4 in his 50th pro fight he's in a 10 rounder against felix valera who's 19 and 4 nothing else really on that card there and yeah that is it for the preview part of the show it was just one card to mention taking place there on christmas eve so like i said this part was very brief we did the news just there we did the preview part just the one fight there it's now time though to Welcome this guest, our main interview of this Christmas special podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former IBF welterweight champion of the world. It is, of course, Mr. Joshua Clotty. Joshua, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you so much. So, Joshua, I'd like to start this this interview the same way I like to start all these kinds of interviews. Where did your boxing journey begin? What's your earliest memory perhaps ever putting on a pair of boxing gloves? Um, uh, I used to play soccer, right? And uh, there's this guy in um, my area, Bukum, and he was beating all the guys in the ring. So I went and I told the coach that I wanted to fight that guy. So they put the gloves on me and uh, they put me in the ring and the guy beat me up. He hit my stomach, so I started throwing out. So after that, I said to myself that I have to revenge. So I started training, training, training. And uh, we had a rematch. And I beat him. And uh, that day, day, I started becoming a boxer. So it was all it all stemmed from football. There was a guy that played football that was a good boxer and you became better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I used to be a footballer. Excellent, man. Excellent. And obviously, you boxed as an amateur for a while. That's not something that... Uh, too many people know about. Tell me about your amateur career. How long did it last? How many fights did you have? What was your favorite moment? Yeah, you know, our time in amateur in Ghana was the tough, 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 tough times because, you know, everybody wanted to be in the team to uh, uh, travel, to mix a few dollars. So because of that, the selection always very tough. So we always have individual championships. So whoever is going to be uh, the king in uh, every way to be in the team, to travel. So that was um, 1993, and I was I, I always, I always uh, 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 best in my weight. I, I started from uh, um, bantamweight to featherweight, and I end up in welterweight. And I'm always in the team. And you know, when I was coming, right? The, the 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 senior ones that they are in the team, they all don't leave the team for professional. They all wanted to stay in amateurs. So because of that, I have to beat most of them to become uh, uh, the king in the weight. So it, it was very tough. So I think that really shaped me. You know, even though I went to uh, 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 the IBA Games and I went to the Commonwealth Games, I did not go to Africa and the Olympics. But our time in amateur was very tough. Every every month we fighting individual championships. So it really shaped me. And so when I came to professional, I think I already know what I'm doing and it, it works better. But my amateur record was uh, 48 wins and four losses. 
Okay, excellent, man. And I love hearing these kinds of stories because some of the, some of the time these kind of stories people don't know about. Um, it's very interesting to hear them. Let's move on to your pro career, Josh. You you made your debut March the thirty first of nineteen ninety five in Accra, Ghana. You went the distance, a unanimous decision over six rounds. Do you remember much about your first fight as a pro? Yeah, the first fight was always very exciting because I am very, very uh, 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 strong guy in amateur, beating all the guys. So me coming to professional, I know that uh, uh, I'm going to uh, do something great because even though I don't know what is going to the end up will be, but I believe in myself because I don't scare nobody in the ring when I was in amateur. So me coming to professional, I know... It's gonna be a very, very uh, uh, great for me for my career. Uh, uh, I fought with a guy called um, Sami Luchu. You know, we went to the wing where we got the um, my opponent who was supposed to fight uh, wasn't show up. So Sami Luchu was there. He's gonna fight with somebody, and the person don't show up. So they asked me if I really wanted to fight the guy because the guy is so huge. He's very, very big and very tall. So when they asked me, I told them that, you know what, I'll fight him. And they said, the guy is a super middleweight, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a light sweater. So I was like, oh, don't worry, I'll fight him. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about the weight. So when we win, the guy weighed 168, and I weighed uh, 141. And they asked me, he's very dangerous. I told them that I'll fight the guy. So we all accept the fight, and we went home. So on the night of the fight, right, the first one, the first one was beating these guys mercilessly. Saying that the mother was, even the mother was crying. The mother wanted to come to the ring. He was saying that, why am I even beating uh, uh, his son like that? And then they will come to the second round. I didn't know what happened. I didn't know. I, I, don't, I can't even remember what happened. We went to the sixth round. After the fight, uh, I asked my senior brother, you man read that, uh, what time? I'm going to the ring. And he managed to say, I've already fought, and I won. And I was like, wow, I didn't know that I fought. Then I started crying because it was very, very painful because I think the guy knocked me down. According to my brother, I was throwing a right, and the guy too was throwing the same right because the guy was very tall and huge. It right caught me before my right. So I went down. So I didn't know what happened from the second round to round six. Wow. And it took me like three months. It took me three months before I realized myself that this is Joshua Clotty. It was very, very bad. So so tell me, wh which fight was that, you say? That was the debut. That was oh, the debut. Okay. Samir Lochu. Okay, okay. So that's the fight you're talking about? Yeah, that was the fight I'm talking about. It was really painful. Oh, I didn't know what happened to myself. And I didn't know, even if you're talking to me right I was talking to me and I felt like slapping you in front of me because it's like um, I didn't know maybe something that uh, maybe I might say uh, voodoo or whatever, 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 whatever. But it was really terrible. So so your first fight you had, you were actually down yourself and then you got back up and won on points. Yeah, I was down on my first fight because wow. I fought a huge guy. And... Uh, it really, really shaped me. 
Wow. Okay, that is interesting, man. I know that on that first fight you had uh, as a pro against Samuel Lotsu, obviously Ben Taki was on the card that night, so was your brother Emmanuel. Um, mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. ended up having 11 mm-hmm. fights in your first year as a pro. Did you enjoy fighting that frequently? Yeah, I fight because, you know, that time I was very... very after that, you see that piece to me that I talked to you about Samuel Lotsu. I went to the beach. I didn't know even that I was at the beach, but as I was running, right, and I heard something come out of me. Then I started looking at myself, that, wow, what is going on? This is Joshua. Why am I asking? So I ran back home. When I got home, I started crying. Then after that, I started training. I think that's how, how I got the living fight. Because I fight every, every promotion that goes on in Ghana, I always wanted to participate in. So I had that fight, yeah. And and obviously, I'm from the UK. You had many fights here in the UK. Um, tell me what you remember about fighting over here in London, the capital city. Uh, did you like fighting over here? I know you boxed at York Hall as well. Well, uh, you know when I when I, when after the Levin fight here, the, we got a promoter who is uh, I know I, I'm sure you know Panos Eliadis, the one that. Uh, was promoting Lennox Lewis, Panos, Eliadis. Okay, yeah. And uh, yeah. he was he was he was partner with uh, Frank Maloney. So they signed as a promotional contract. As we got to UK, I always fight with the guys. I always beat them up. I always them knock I always knock them out. But you know anytime I'm requesting for those guys that they are on top, they always kind of very, very hard for me to get. So uh, finally, right, that was 1999. I got the fight with Carlos Domain for the WBC International. I thought I was winning the fight, and the referee came up with speech, accidental headbutt, and then took the fight away from me and left uh, UK to US. Yeah, I was going to say, obviously, that was the first loss of your career. Uh, it's, it's probably a bad memory. You were winning the fight. You were 20-0 and 0 with 15 KOs at the time. Obviously, you boxed future WBC welterweight world champion uh, Carlos Baudemir. And as you say, it took place in 1999 in the Wembley Arena. Um, looking back now, you got disqualified in round 11. I I seen the replay. I can't understand why the referee stopped it in that at that moment. You know, it wasn't. I don't think you used your head. I, I mean, what do you think now, looking back? Was it a bad decision from the referee? What the referee did at that time was really really bad because you see that was my first time uh, uh, fighting for international title, and uh, I know I was winning the fight. As I was winning the fight, I didn't even know what happened. And they just that uh, you just uh, 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 hold my hand and you tell me that you disqualify me. For what reason? I didn't even know what they, Then he started framing up with uh, this um, accidental hair back. And I was like, what is going on? So even the people that were watching the fight was really upset. And everybody wanted to throw even bottles and everything into the ring. But it was really bad decision. And, uh, and you know, one thing that I, I, I didn't even... And surprised me is that because you know, I went to the uh, bathroom and I saw the um, my manager and uh, the guy manager talking. So there, I started thinking that there is something going, fishing going on. But I was like, you know what? Let me just go and do my thing. 
and they disqualify me for no reason. It really, really hurts me. But you know, it is what it is. You know, sometimes those things happen for you and mature you to a next step. Yeah, and it certainly did mature you to to the next step. Obviously, after the Baudemir fight, you went back to Ghana. You won four fights in a row. Then you got three wins in the United States. Then you had that second round no contest against Steve Martinez when you clash heads. Then you win another three mm-hmm. fights, all in the States. At this point, your record's 30-1. and one. You'd been a pro for 11 years and nine months. You finally got mm-hmm. your shot at a world title. December 2nd, 2006, in Atlantic City, you challenged the mm-hmm. then WBO welterweight world champion, Antonio Margarito. You broke your hand early in the fight. Antonio went on to win unanimously over 12 rounds. Tell me what you remember about that Saturday evening, Josh. You know, that uh, that fight with Antonio Margarito, I was so, so excited about the uh, the fight. Because, you know, that um, I heard people were talking about um, people always... Uh, it was the, uh, the uh, serious fighter in the world. Nobody wanted to fight him. So when Bobano told me that he wanted me to fight with uh, Margarito, I told him that, yes, okay, no problem. I am ready. I'll fight the guy. But, you know, that time, right, I didn't really know what called scary in the ring or afraid uh, opponents. I always wanted to fight. So when they told me about the fight, I'm so excited about me fighting the guy. So we went to the uh, training camp. I had a very good training camp. I did my thing. I fired a lot. I did everything to win the fight. But, you know, a, a week to end the training camp, I started feeling pains in my knuckles. The two knuckles. But, you know, when I told the trainer, the trainer was saying that because uh, uh, um, I have trained a lot for this fight, I've been using the hand for two months. Is the reason why I'm getting a, a start fracture. And it's going to be all right if I raise the hand, maybe a couple of things. So because of that, I did not even throw the hand for like um, a week before the fight. So when we... To the ring, you know, Margarita had a very uh, uh, strong head. So anytime you beat Margarita, he always don't fool your your punches. I was feeling this guy with good shots. Then from the forefront, I started feeling the pains that I had in the training camp. And then I, I came to the corner and I told the trainer that we are in trouble. And he said, "What?" Well, I said, "I'm feeling the pains now. Anytime I hit the guy with my hand, I feel like there's something. There's something." Like some some hard things in my heart. So I felt like the pace is too much. And he said I should keep going, keep trying. It gets to a time and you know I can't even throw the hand anymore because of the pace is too much. But I told myself this is my first work I feel. I have to be there for the fight to end in the decision. Then I'll get a knockout in my record because I know there is no way I would love to be knocked out. So I went there and stayed there for the fight and the whole reference and they gave the unanimous to him. Yeah, but no, like I say, to, to break your hand early on in the fight and to actually go into the fight with a hand that's not really ready for battle, uh, you know, that's that it's brave and obviously you hung in there, showed your toughness. Um, four months later, you jump straight back in with former four-time world champion Diego Corrales, sorry. April 7th, 2007 in Missouri. You knocked him down twice and beat him unanimously over 10 rounds. Obviously, this was 
Diego's final fight before his untimely death exactly one month later. But tell me what you remember about your fight against Diego, Josh. A brilliant win. Diego, Diego Corrales' fight uh, was 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 a fight to, I mean, announce my, my, myself to the whole world. You know, after the Margarita fight, I came to Ghana, and I was enjoying uh, the Africa dishes. You know, and I was like, uh, I think um, I was here, and I saw in the internet that Diago wanted to move to Waterwood, and he's looking for a dance partner. So quickly, I called, and I told the uh, promoter that I wanted to fight the guy. So they, they, they couldn't believe it because they felt like uh, Diego is a kind of a very strong fighter and a four-division world champion. So me wanted to fight him. They felt like he's dangerous. But I don't know how I'll fight. So I went to America, and I started training. You know, the, 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 to cut a long story short about that incident, I weighed 12 pounds over the day of the weighing. Weighing day. I weighed 12 pounds over. And uh, they said whether they will they will, they will take uh, 30% out of my purse or bond me two years. So I should choose either one. So I told them, no, I wanted to fight this guy. So what is going to happen? They should give me time. So I went to the I went to the hotel room. I put a lot of stuff uh, uh, to my, my, my body. And I ran from somewhere that I don't know, in Missouri. It was very cold time. I ran far away that I didn't know any anybody there. I ran back to the uh, uh, hotel where we were going to fight. I went to the uh, school, and they left with only three pounds. And uh, the match, uh, the cartman was like, uh, Miguel Diaz was the cartman, my cartman. He was like, wow, I have done well, but I shouldn't run again because there is nothing left in me. So he took me to the sun, and he put a balloon on my whole body, and he put me to the sun. In the sun, I was in the sun almost like uh, 10, 10 minutes. I started being... I started crying, crying, crying. Then I come out. We went to the wing, and we were we were one forty nine. That time the other two was one forty nine, and we we we, we had a fight. It was really, really best performance that I had in America, and it really shoot me to the world. And they know that they know that this guy is somebody who is going to make something good in the game. And it, it was the best performance, and I really thank. Yeah, it was a great way to come back as well after, you know, losing to Margarito to come straight back against someone like Corrales and win like that. Um, Four Mm -hmm. months later is when you box the two-time world title challenger, Felix Flores. Uh, This one took place in Las Vegas. You beat him also unanimously over 10 rounds. Do you remember much about that fight, Josh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That fight, that fight, when they told me about him challenging the title twice, he's a very strong guy, going to uh, the top fight. I really, I really told uh, the promoter that I wanted to fight him because those are the opponents that will make you a name. So I think um, the first round, I wanted to go toe-to-toe with him. But I realized that he's a very strong guy. He has a very strong hands. Anytime he hits me, I fall that is infinite with a, a solid point. So I decided to take a, 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 the fight like this. Every run, I'll fight different types. 
So if I go on toe-to-toe first round, the second round, I'll just move around. And the third round, I'll go to toe-to-do, toe-to-do. And the fourth round, I'll move around. I did that until I realized that from the round seven, I realized that it's, it's now uh, uh, slow. There, I started chasing him. And I won the fight on decision. Yeah, no, a, a good win once again. Um, another four months later, we get to December 2007. You beat Shimon Alvarez in an IBF eliminator in Las Vegas. Uh, you beat him unanimously over 12. Then we get to 2008. Uh, you knocked out Jose Luis Cruz in five rounds in Brooklyn in April. But now we get to the big one. August 2nd, 2008, back in Las Vegas, you box for the vacant IBF welterweight world title against former two-time light welterweight and unified welterweight world champion Zab Judah. Um, the fight ends in round nine. You become world champion by technical decision. Describe to me what it felt like for you, coming from a place like Akragana, to win a world title in the sport of boxing. You know, it's like a dream comes true because, you know, me being amateur uh, uh, star, me being professional, becoming a world champion, it's like a dream comes true. You know, that's what I wanted to fulfill before I become a boxer. So, you know, when I, I won that fight with Zavjuda, I was so, so happy. Even the referee wanted to, I mean, play me in a game like taking the fight away from me. But, you know, because all my team, Allah knows that I will. I was uh, doing, and the fight was, uh, 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 I was winning the fight, and the referee wanted to take the fight away from me. I wanted the scorecard. I came to Ghana, and it was really very, very big jubilation. People were so happy about it. But, you know, most people, most people don't surprise that much because they feel like in my amateur days, the way I was beating the senior guys, they have me in their mind that I was definitely going to be a world champion. So really, really happy. I am happy about it that at the end of the day, I fulfilled my dream. It's really best, you know. No, it's brilliant, man. I, I love hearing these stories, like I say. But just tell me about the fight as well. You told me what it was like to win a world title. Where you're coming from is a very, very tough place. But the fight itself, I mean, Zab Judah was a brilliant, brilliant fighter. He went on to win world titles after that as well. Um, just tell me about being in there fighting a guy like Zab with all his experience too. You know, Zab Judah fights, um, I know, you know, one thing that win a fight is, about is when you have in the mind that you beat your opponent, it's the first step of winning. When you have in your mind the guy that you're going to fight is going to be a very tough fight, it's going to be a tough fight for you because it's what you're going to put in the mind before you enter the ring is what will lead you to the fight. So the, the fight, I know in my mind I'll be that guy because I, I, it's a second world title. I don't lose that one. Even though Zavida was undisputed world title champion, I know that it's a top five. And I have in my mind, long time ago when I was fighting on the Broadway, that this guy, if I get him, I'll beat him. So when it comes to me to fight him, I think I had a fight and I mentioned his name that I wanted to fight him. He came to uh, uh, the gym that we all train at Gracie's gym and he tried to cause problems. End of the day, he's trying to fight me in a street fight because I mentioned his name that I wanted to fight him. So we had that uh, problem. But 
he didn't know. He used to uh, spar with my senior brother. So the 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 press conference of the fight, he was saying that he used to beat me in uh, sparring, and he's going to beat me like uh, the day of the fight. And I told her, it's not me that you spar. I never spar with you before. It was me. It was me who who, who said I wanted to beat you in a ring, and you came to the gym that you wanted to fight me. Uh, in the gym, it was me. It's not my brother. I'm not my brother that you spar with. It was me that you wanted to fight at Greece's gym. Before he realized that, wow, he has a very, very tough uh, assignment in front of him. But you know, all in all, like I said, in my mind, I know I'll beat him. So whatever he's doing, he's punching, I still feel like I'll beat him. And I know that he happens like that. So let me just get that straight again. You said that your your older brother had sparred Zab before. So when Zab made the fight with you, he thought he was actually fighting your older brother, but obviously it wasn't. It was you. Yeah. He started with my brother. My brother used to start with him in Greece's gym. Okay. But me and my brother, we resemble. So when he, when the fight came on, he thought it was me that he was sparring long time ago. But I didn't know that uh, it was my brother until I told him to be clear. It's not me who you spar with. It was me who challenged you. So it was me that wanted to fight. It's not my brother. Before I realized that, wow, then uh, it's going to be a difficult fight. That is brilliant, man. That's that's a brilliant story. Um, You never ended up defending your title. I believe you got stripped, I think, in April 2009. What happened with that, Josh? Yeah, yeah. You know, after the uh, Zabuza fight, I won the the title. My next fight is supposed to be defending. It's it's a mandatory. Margaret was uh, uh, Isaac Wachai from South Africa. And uh, Bob Arum is now interested in promoting me and Wachai. Because we have a couple of good fighters. Uh, Miguel Cotto is there. Margarito is there. Everybody is there. So he was like, he's not ready to promote me and Wachari. So in that case, I have to go to South Africa and fight with the guy and defend the title for the guy. And I know the South Africa, me getting there, if I, know the guy, if I don't know the guy out, then I'm going to lose my title. They will rob me after the 12 rounds. So, Bob Aaron proposed... Uh, the fight with me and uh, Miguel Cotto. And I said, correct, that's the fight that I want. I want to fight the best. So uh, Miguel Cotto is the best, and we are going to unify the title. So I was trying to do everything he can to I mean, make us uh, uh, unify the title before the winner fight is for trying. But they don't want to. So IBF said, if I'm still going forward with uh, Miguel Cotto fight, then they will strip me off. And I thought, fine, they should strip me off because I am getting good fights and I'm getting what I want in that fight. So they strip me off. And I don't even really bother. That's why I need a photo fight for Miguel Koto the BBO. Yeah, that, that is the next fight. Obviously, you, you, you take on Miguel Cotto, um, WBO welterweight world champion at the time, recent Hall of Fame inductee. The fight takes place, Madison Square Garden, June 13th, 2009. You're down in the first round, but you get up and you lose a split decision to Cotto. I'm sure you felt you won the fight, Josh. Tell me about it. 
You know that fight too, it was the same mind of uh, me going to the ring knows that I'm going to win. I trained a lot for the fight. I, if I heard them on the on the uh, media saying that Nigerkodo is gonna uh, walk on me, knock me out, do this, I laugh at them because I know who I am. When we got to the fight, I showed them who I am. I know I won that fight because the judge that gave the fight to me was at my hotel, and he told me point blank that he knows I won the fight, but they did what they have to do to me because Nigerkodo and Menipaka were negotiating to fight. So they don't want to start that uh, uh, bout. So they gave the fight to him. But I know I won that fight. After that fight, uh, Josh, you know, Cotto obviously had the Manny Pacquiao fight that you mentioned. He lost the title to Manny Pacquiao. You then go straight in with Manny Pacquiao. Again, this run that you had of fights was just incredible at the time. So you get in with Manny Pacquiao um, for his WBO world title. March 13th, 2010 at the Cowboys Stadium in Arlington, Texas. You lose a unanimous decision against Manny over 12 rounds. Tell me what you remember about that fight and, of course, what it was like to, to fight and go 12 rounds with a legend like Manny Pacquiao. Uh, I will not just say that uh, uh, I'll be happy that I went to the 12 rounds with the legend Manny Pacquiao. No, it was really, really sad because it's like they, they treat me nice. My manager treats me nice. And uh, uh, for like he respects me as a boxer, I think I'll be I'll be very different in that fight. The manager is taking 33 percent from the pairs, and he's getting 33 percent from a pay per view. I am telling you this for you to understand the reason why the many Pacquiao fight I wasn't there. They gave me they gave me three dollars in every each of pay per view selling. And that three dollars was even not fair. And they gave me uh, the three dollars. Even they started from after three hundred thousand buyers. So that means if I got only three, if we got only three hundred thousand buyers, I will not even get a, a pay per view money. But God willing, we sold almost like seven hundred plus. But they gave me three dollars, three 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 dollars each, and three dollars each they gave me after 300,000 buyers, which is very sad. That was like the, the UC me. And what, what is most annoying is that the manager too was uh, with the promoters. He's now on my side. And he's getting like 33% out of every money. So, you know, I'm a human being. He's been getting 33% all this while that I was fighting. And because he locked his contract. And he's not giving me money for almost like four to five years. That I was uh, paying my rent. I was buying my training kits. I was doing everything with my own money. And he is getting like a trip from, from my purse. There is no way that I will be happy fight, fighting for him. There is no, even if I'm happy today, tomorrow I won't be happy. The whole mess will go happy. So when the uh, Pacquiao fight comes, he's already agreed on the purse without even telling me because the money was uh, one million and he was thinking about getting one million. I even fought down before they put uh, uh, another money on the one million before we went to the fight. And the paper, which I was getting $3 uh, 
this uh, after take three hundred thousand by it. And the guy is making all the money. So even uh, the day of the fire, I went to his hotel room and I told him that the thirty three percent that he's making is weakening my mind before getting to the fight. So if you take twenty five percent so that I'll get it from his face. Because it's been four years, you haven't given me one dollar before. He said, no, 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 this is the business. So when he said this is business, I put in my head that, you know what, I'll go to the ring and stand there and just defend myself. Or else, for all of us to make the money, then we all go home. So when I'm in the ring, I was trying to come with a different mind. I've already put that in the mind. That's why I lost that five part. You know, I hear a lot of stories about how, uh, you know, problems outside of the ring obviously can cause problems inside of the ring. The fact that, you know, you're at the hotel on the day of the fight or the day before the fight trying to sort out financial stuff with your team is just, this is like a recipe for disaster, you know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. So I guess, yeah, it sounds like your memories of the Pacquiao fight are... Mm-hmm. shadowed unfortunately by financial stuff problems within the team mm-hmm. um, I'm guessing mm-hmm. the manager or whatever that you had at the time was uh, you know looking out for his best interests and not your own mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. true it's true because even, even the fight his target was uh, he told me the day that we're going to sign the contract that if, to, if tomorrow we all hit one million dollars for a fight we're all going to be happy so you see, when they mentioned the one million, he wasn't even wanted to negotiate. He was happy because that was his target. Until I came in and I started talking, until they increased the money to over one million before the pay per view. Even the pay per view, how can you even negotiate three dollars after three hundred fifty thousand? After three hundred thousand buyers. Why are you even thinking about that? Because you already target for one million. So it's all about, um, I just don't want it to be full for somebody. So me going to many particular fights, the whole thing in the mind is not about fight. It's about somebody trying to feel like he's using me. So there is no way I'll perform. Yeah, it's a sad thing, man, because that was obviously a huge fight, massive as well for Ghana to have one of their own fighting, you know, Manny Pacquiao. Um, after the Pacquiao fight, you, you spend a year and eight months out the ring um, before returning at 154 and winning four fights in a row, the first against Calvin Green, then Deshaun Johnson. Then you travel to Australia to fight uh, former two-time WBA super middleweight world champion Anthony Mundine. You beat him unanimously over 12 rounds. You drop him, I think, five times in the fight. Uh, tell me about that one. <laughs> in the Mundine fight, right, um, I was moving up in, 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 in 147 to 154. You know, I lose almost like uh, 29 pounds. Wow. Anytime I'm making 147. So it's always a problem for me fighting uh, good in water with. So when I decided to move up in 154, I become very, very strong. Because even though I was 36 years or 37 years, because I was moving up and I was putting a little, pump, a little food on my body now, I started feeling stronger. 
So I trained a lot for that fight because I wanted to make a statement. So when we had that fight, I dropped him like um, five times and I won on uh, decision. Even if you go through that fight, just pick round six. If you pick the round six, right, and watch the round six carefully, you will see that when the referee counts the uh, the thing to Mandi, he called Mandi to wake up by force. That means if the referee is being fair, I would have knocked Mandi in round six. But the referee called Mandi, get up, get up, get up, get up, after the counts, if you want that fight. So because I move up in weight, I become very strong, and uh, I train a lot for that fight, and uh, I won that fight in Australia. Yeah, and another good win as well for your for your for your resume, for your legacy. Uh, then, like I say, you won your next fight against Jorge Silva on the Canelo Kirkland undercard. That's that's uh, four wins in a row, like I mentioned. Your next fight, you boxed Gabriel Rosado, um, December nineteenth, two thousand uh, fifteen, in Verona, New York. Rosado, even to this day, still such a tough, tough guy. You lose a unanimous decision over ten. What do you remember about that one, man? That I feel like that fight was always going to go the distance. You're both so tough. You know that fight, right? I shouldn't, I shouldn't have fight, uh, 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 fight that fight. It's very, very bad. Reason why sometimes I don't even think about that fight and I don't even put it in my record because it was very, very sad. It was those kind of uh, things. You know, sometimes um, whatever happens to you in the boxing game, right? You always learn a lot. And when you are a nice person, sometimes you tell those up and coming ones to be very careful. Listen, the promoter that I signed with was uh, Star Boxing. You put me to uh, Mandin in Australia. It was a very, very risk fight. I went there. I won. I beat uh, uh, um, Mandin up. I came to the rankings at number two in 154 because I won the WBA International. Why do you even have to put me into Rosado, who is a middleweight, that I am not even a middleweight? You know, there are certain things that sometimes you can choose not to do it, but sometimes if there is no option for you to do it, you have no option to take it. Because how can you put me into a middleweight? I was complaining about this fight. I told the promoter, listen to me, this is a wrong fight. We had a very, very good position. We, we are in a good position in the rankings. We'll fight for a world title. And I believe that if I go for 154 title, I won. I won that fight. So don't push me today. The promoter wanted to push me there because it was a golden boy promotion fight. And because he's now giving me a fight for the year, he wanted me to go there. And the money too was like uh, $40,000. And he will make his cut. So it's all about money today. You know, when you are an African fighter, there is no way you get it easy. When you go to the land of where the boxing team plays, they're always going to use you. He puts me there because we're making $40,000, and the $40,000 is going to make his cut. He don't want to promote me for me to get to where we're going to get a wet title for us to make the huge money. But he pushed me to where he's now promoting. For him to make the small $40,000, for him to make cuts. And I lose that fight. I, I was really the guy from the first four rounds. But because it's so huge to extend that, and it's not my weight, and I move weight, 
it will be definitely going to get, I will definitely going to get tired because it's, it's a huge guy. That's how I got to lose that fight. And Josh, you mentioned there about African fighters. They, you know, they they sort of get used. Um, I, 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 I've always wondered, because there's two things that I associate with almost every African fighter, right? Um, not to categorize you all, but I want to say that every African fighter that gets to world title level is not there because of luck. They never have any luck. When they get to world title level, they pick up a world title. It is through pure hard work to get there. And also, why is it that every African fighter seems to be so tough? I mean, you yourself, you're made of something else, man. You guys are so tough and, you know, you put it on the line every time. What is it maybe the upbringing? Is it is it the fact that you know you're going to get screwed over? Uh, if if you're not a hundred percent on your game, what is it about the African fighters that makes them so tough and have so much belief in themselves? If you if you if you're not tough, if you're not tough, and you don't believe yourself, and you don't stand up on your ground to become somebody in boxing, if you're an African, you can be loser. The only thing that can help you, you have to be very very tough. You have to train a lot. You have to be strong because you get it there. The only thing in their mind is to use you. There is no way they can make you listen to me. When I started, when I started boxing, I'm good. I went to England, I was doing good. I I I, I went to US, I was doing good. Look at Miguel Cotto. Miguel Cotto is four times or five times world champion because he had a lot of people following him. We the African fighters, we don't have our people following us because. They are making money to bring it to Ghana and make a life. So it's always tough because we don't bring people to the ta- and we don't bring people to the stadium. So when it comes to you as an African fighter, you don't have a choice. You always have to take any fight, and it's very very tough for African fighters. So anytime African fighter gets to the top of boxing, he was in the high level. You have to respect him. Yeah. The reason why you have to respect him is because. It's not getting it easy. They're always going to take you to people's background and fight there they, because, they, because they want that, that boxer to beat you. They don't want you to win because you win if your people don't follow you and the person winning is people following him. So that's what they want. It's always tough for African fighters when it comes to foreign land. It's very, very bad. Yeah, I agree, and I think it's it's amazing. Every African fighter that gets to the top level has to be respected maximum because they they more than likely came a completely different path to most of the other world champions that make it to that level. As you say, like your Kotos, these superstars, um, it's not like that for a lot of the African fighters. After that Rosado fight, you was out the ring for three years and three months. Then you come back, you get two more wins, both by a knockout, both back home in Ghana in 2019. Uh, your record, obviously, at this point, 41-5. and five. Um, it's, it's a brilliant career, Josh. Is that it now? Are you officially retired? Well, I asked for the uh, retire. I would never going to tell anybody whether I retire from boxing or still fighting. No, I will not tell anybody. And sorry about that. But you see, listen, um, I don't want to... I, I think uh, uh, after Pacquiao fights and whatever I had in boxing, I made small investment that uh, uh, feed me up. I think that's all matters. I am no younger. I'm 44 years. So 
if our fellow gonna keep fighting, then uh, maybe I'm putting myself into trouble. And one thing about uh, African fighters is, you make the money. If you make small money and you take good care of the money, you enjoy by not wasting your life or or by not going to people people's uh, uh, what do you call it uh, uh, background and go fight for thirty thousand dollars and twenty thousand dollars that you will lose almost like eighteen. Look at Kasioma. Kasioma have lost almost like a ninety to twenty one fights. How are you gonna happen like that? No, I would rather respect myself with my 41 wins and five losses than going there and lose to anybody. No, I will not do it. I will not do it. No. If I decided today to fight and I feel like I am ready to do it, I'll do it. And if I'm not ready, so be it. When one day, one day, one day, I will retire, I'll call you on your phone and we'll grant interview. <laughs> okay, but yeah, I just want to say, I mean, yeah, you don't want to, you don't, you don't have anything to prove. You've been a world champion. You've, you've got a tremendous record, a tremendous resume, man. And um, yeah, if, if, if you know, you, you, it's a, it's a very good decision. I think you've made so far. Um, coming down to the last few questions, these are kind of simple, quick questions before we wrap it up, Josh. I've got a few of them. You were such a tough guy, but who would you say? Of all your opponents, hit the hardest. Um, uh, Richard Gutierrez. All those that are, are fought, Richard Gutierrez is my toughest fight. He's the one that hit so hard. He was the one that I, I, I had a fight with. After the fight, I came home and uh, I couldn't breathe uh, well. It was my tough, toughest fight, Richard Gutierrez. Wow, I really thought you'd say someone else, but that's interesting. Okay, okay, cool. Um, and I want to ask you this one as well. What's your most favorite win of your career? It's got to be the Zab Judah one, surely. Oh, no, my, my favorite win in my career was Diago Corrales' uh, fight. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, uh, it was somebody that I always watch, and it was always tough guy. Every, you know, most of, uh, uh, most of the fools in Ghana... They have his fight with Castello, the, the, the 12 France uh, uh, drama that happens. So people know Jairo uh, Corrales, uh, and uh, I had a fight with him, and uh, I was so, so happy about my performance, and uh, I, was, I, was, I was happy about the whole fight, and uh, I felt like it was best uh, fighting him, and uh, may so rest in perfect peace. And this 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 question here now, um, do you have any regrets? I ask this to a lot of fighters. Sometimes they say no. I love it when they say no. That's the best way to be. But some people, unfortunately, do have a long list of regrets. Do you have any regret, uh, regrets? Would you go back and change something if you could? Asking what? Asking what? I know the regret. I understand about. Asking what my career or my management or my what? Um, whatever you like, really. I guess your boxing career, yeah, your management, anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have a very, very big regret because I feel like by now, by now, because I'm, I'm naturally strong, and uh, talking about boxing, I feel like I have everything to be a very, very good fighter, becoming a maybe two times world champion, three times world champion because I know what I can do in the ring. But I have a regret by 
me not always taking my contract to a lawyer to study, to tell me what is in the contract, than listening to my trainer, who always uh, 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 disappoints me by making a sign a bad contract. That always affects me throughout my career. Because if I have a good contract, I think by now, with Takia fight, I'll perform better. And by now, I'm coming, I'll come out of boxing. But I had almost like uh, six years that I did not have a fight because, because of breakages that happens to my career. And I was really, really regret because if, like, I always take my contract to a lawyer to study and give me what is in the contract, bad and good, I think it will help me. I had the same contract with uh, Dibella. I signed contract with Dibella because I gave the contract to my manager. He took the contract to, America, uh, to UK. He brought the contract. He told me that the contract was okay if I signed. I signed the contract. No, no, he, every fight that I'm going to have is only $5,000 in the contract. I have to go to the uh, promoter and fight the promoter every day who is uh, Ludibella. And he sold me to top rank. I signed a contract with the manager, Lou Dibella, and the contract was very, very bad. I saw it coming. I told the trainer that let me take the contract to a lawyer for him to study the contract and give us what is good or bad. The, 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 the trainer was like, the contract is okay. I shouldn't get scared. The manager is a good man. And I signed. And it really affects me because he loved the contract. He said the 3% always stands forever. Why is not giving me money forever? So you see the regrets. Yeah. Yeah, no. It's, mm-hmm. it's terrible how, you know, guys that don't get in the ring like to take advantage of guys that do get in the ring. Um, uh, it's, it's horrible, actually. Um, I want to ask you this one as well, Josh. Who was the, the... Of all the guys you fought, who do you feel was the best all-round fighter? It's always... I'm always... You know, I fought with Miguel Cotto. I fought with Davjuda. I fought with uh, uh, Diago Corrales. I fought with Manny Pacquiao. But I will always tell you, Ducha Gutierrez made me not to breathe well. After the fight, I can't even cough well. I cough like <laughs> easy. Because if I cough well, I feel the pain in my ribs. It was all-round fight. From one to one to ten was all action fight. I can never, ever forget about that fight. <laughs> okay. And I want to ask you this one as well, Josh. Is there anyone you wish you'd have had the chance to fight, but it didn't happen? Many Pacquiao, many Pacquiao, many If today, 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 I will get a chance to fight somebody, even if it's not fight, a vicious fight, I can travel to many Pacquiao's uh, uh, country and I will add a fight with him without even collecting one dollar. Hang on a minute. I want so, that chance. So, 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 w- the, so the question was: Is is there anyone you wish you'd have had the chance to fight? You say Pacquiao, who obviously you did fight. You'd still like to fight him to this day? Yeah, I would love to, even if it's exhibition, even if it's because you say, listen, uh, I had that fight with many Pacquiao without me being there. So I really disgrace. Uh, uh, myself and a lot of people. So I always want a chance to get that revenge. Even if it's a vision, I'll make it like a fight. And I'll promise that I will even charge one one pound 
Okay, so if he says exhibition in the Philippines next week, <laughs> no no money, you're there. You're on a plane tomorrow. I will, I will, I will, pack, I will pack my baggage right now. <laughs> and I'll go to the airport. Even if they said the plane will, will take off three days' time, I'll go to the airport in three days. I want that <laughs> fight so bad. You know that's the reason why when I got a, a Canelo fight, right? I was so, so happy that Canelo wanted to fight me for me to me bring back my image. And he, 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 he pulled out from the fight. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, some people forget that. he It was going to happen. It was it was, it was was done and dusted. And then he got, I think it was an ankle injury. And the fight never mm-hmm. ended up getting resurrected. Um, is that a regret of yours, Josh? If you could go back and fight Manny Pacquiao differently, is that a regret that you didn't it's- fight him... Uh, you know the way you normally fight. You wasn't there for that fight. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, let's say I was. Uh, you know, even if I call myself, even if I call myself a great fighter, I'm always gonna have to be uh, 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 say it in a low way. Reason is that you know sometimes I think I did best for my career, but the Pacquiao fight that I had was a very very bad fight. So it was really regret. I don't regret uh, uh, because I fought with him because that time he was the pound for pound number one. I full breast I fought in the pound for pound number one. But I regret the performance because it really took a lot me. Very, very, very a lot. Um, I want to ask you this as well, Josh. Obviously, I don't know how much money you made from boxing. You you obviously had people taking big percentages of your purses, and it's a, it's a terrible thing. Um, and I also didn't know that you were living back home in Ghana. I'm speaking to you right now from Ghana. Um, what keeps you busy? What gets you out of bed every day? Are you living like a king over there? What's going on day to day in your life now? You see... Um, this whole thing about uh, um, uh, boxing, boxing and money, boxing and money are very dangerous things. If you're fighting as a boxer, it's a very dangerous boss. And when you're making money too, money too is very dangerous because money brings a lot of women around you, a lot of friends, a lot of things. You know, money always wanted you to go and do certain things that is bad. So when you started making the money, and you don't get people around you, or you are not humble. The whole world is humble. If you started making money and you're not humble, your money will never gonna last. So after the Pacquiao fight, uh, that was the huge money that I made. So after that fight, I, I, I bought a, 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 a houses in some places in residential area, and those houses are those that take care of me now. Because it's rent, so that is what I did with my money, and I I never regret uh, buying those houses. Because today, today those are the money that uh, uh, that I taking care of myself now. Yeah, good man. That's a brilliant, brilliant thing. I'm I'm very pleased that you've invested it smartly. A lot of people don't invest it smartly. They end up running out of money and they end up having to come back at age 44 because they need the money. Mm-hmm. I'm very pleased mm-hmm. that you did that. Um, I want to ask you this question as well. Um, Josh, are you a happy man? When you look back on your career now, we're in 2021, almost in 2022. Are you a happy man today, every day when you wake up? Are you happy? 
I am so, so, so happy. That's in uh, one thing. Because when I am in my career, I never, ever use no uh, voodoo to do anything in my career. I am so, so happy that today, if I go on bed, I sleep without no hippo chasing me. I am so happy that today, after 11 years of me fighting with many Pakia, I still feed my family. I take care of my children very, very well. Even one just finished uh, university. So those are the things that I am happy about. And I always thank God that he really guide me to be very humble to everybody. Because you being humble, your money always pays. That's beautiful words, my friend. And just coming down to the last real question for you, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Um, I like to ask this question to everyone that I speak to from all different countries around the world. Who is your favourite, if you have one, UK fighter? Any era, it can be a guy still boxing today, it can be a guy who retired 100 years ago. Who is your favourite UK fighter? Um, I have to. I have to. It's okay. Yeah. I have two favorite fighters in UK. I I have a uh, Tyson Fury. Oh yeah. Tyson Fury. He 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 he's so smart, smart guy. Is he the guy that the guy he never he he never come on people when he fights. He always box around. He realized one thing as a smart fighter. He realized that. Anytime the, those guys fighting with wider, and they always giving the wider chance, they move around. Wider always on them, and he knock them out. So he realized that you know what? I will even go. I will even move around fighting with wider. I'll just chase wider. You know why? Because he realized that wider's legs are very very tiny, and those legs can never move uh, fast. Since he started chasing wider, he's been beating wider. That's a smart fighter. You always have to learn how you're going to approach any fight. I'm sure, I'm sure he's going to fight with uh, Dylan White. And uh, I'm, I guarantee you that it's not going to chase on uh, Dylan White. He will move around because you know Dylan White is a very strong guy. He will move around to use his boxing skills to beat Dylan White. So that's a smart guy. And the second one is uh, Anthony Joshua. Because one, he have my name. Second is is an African in UK. So they always I will support my African guy. Okay, okay, yeah, excellent. Two two heavyweights, very good. And just finally, Josh, the final thing I want to ask you: if you've got any closing words, if you've got any last message before the phone call ends, uh, to anyone in the world that's listening to this, any fans perhaps in the UK, if you've got anything to say at all, say whatever you like. Leave us with a nice message well, before uh, you go. Well, uh, the whole issue about this whole life is very, very uh, sad. The world is so sad. There is nothing in it. Whatever you have in life, right, you're not going to take any of them to you when you die. Just be humble. Be humble. Be fair. You know, we all have God who we serve. The God that we, who we believe in. But one thing about it is that the God that we serve, we can never see him today. So believe that you have to know when you're doing good and believe when you're doing bad. And when you are like that, you stay strong. 
you're always going to die in peaceful death. That's all I have to say. Beautiful words, my friend. Listen, Josh, I just want to say it's been a real pleasure speaking with you and walking down memory lane with you. Thank you for your time. I hope we can speak again soon, and I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a wonderfully Happy New Year. Same to you, and thanks so much. Okay, and this wraps up episode 323 of the Box Hard Podcast, aka the 2021 Christmas Special. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge thank you to our two guests this week, the undefeated former British Commonwealth and European super middleweight champion, Lerone Richards, and the former IBF welterweight world champion, Joshua Clotty. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. First things first, I want to apologize for the technical issues during that Lerone Jerome Richards interview at no point did I rudely speak over him like it sounded like there was a delay for some reason during his responses and it meant that my next questions would sometimes overlap uh, the final few words of his sentence so I apologize for that I think I need to buy some new equipment as I think the stuff that I've got right now is just getting a little bit old um, there has been a couple of pieces of news break whilst we've been recording the show two fights have been made uh, two former champions Keith Furman and Mario Barrios will be fighting each other on February 5th in Las Vegas. It's going to be a great fight. I can't wait for that one. And in other news, Gary Russell Jr. defends his WBC featherweight world title against Mark Magseo on January 22nd in Atlantic City. Uh, That's it for the news. Remember to send us on Twitter your fighter of the year, fight of the year. Prospect of the Year, Trainer of the Year, Knockout of the Year, Most Improved Fighter of the Year, British Fighter of the Year, Female Fighter of the Year, Young Fighter of the Year, and Upset of the Year. And any other category that you may want to send in, you can create your own one and send it in, no problemo. Get them into us on Twitter and we will read them all out on next week's podcast. So remember, this is your last chance for that. Do not forget to send them in. We need them by early next week. And we'll also be giving away some Box Hard Podcast t-shirts to some entrants. But that's about everything from myself i want to wish you all a merry christmas i hope you all have a brilliant weekend and we shall see you all again next week on the 2021 end of year special podcast